Hello, my friends. This is Nikki. Thank you for joining me in learning about the Lord. Today we'll be reading about the adoration of the wise men. This is part one. Uh, we're reading from Maria Valtorta's The Poem of the Man-God, volume one. And we begin in the town of Bethlehem. It is nighttime. It is very quiet. There's no one out and about. We are standing in front of the little house where Joseph and Mary and the Lord have been living for the past year or so. And we begin by seeing the little house in the night and seeing that the night light is increasing. It descends from a sky crowded with stars. I raise my eyes to see the source of the increasing light a star of such unusual size that the moon seems small in comparison, is moving forward in the sky of Bethlehem. Its brightness is such that it outshines all the other stars, from the sphere, which looks like a huge pale sapphire, lit up internally by a sun, a trail departs in which topazes, emeralds, opals, and rubies, and amethysts, mingle with the prevailing pale sapphire light. All the stones on earth are in the trail that sweeps the sky with the fast and undulating movement as if it were alive. But the prevailing color is the one emanating from the globe of the star, the heavenly pale sapphire hue, which comes down and makes the houses, the streets, the ground of Bethlehem, the Savior's cradle, look like blue silver. And with a brighter radiation of light, the star stops over the little house on the narrow side of the square. Neither the people dwelling in it, nor the people in Bethlehem, see it, because they are all asleep in their closed houses. But the star quickens its shining pulsations, and the trail vibrates and wavers faster and faster, drawing a kind of semicircle in the sky. And the sky is all lit up. The little house is transfigured by the liquid fire of gems, but the Virgin Mary does not know. She is awake near her son's cradle and is praying. There are splendors in her soul which outdo the splendor with which the star is decorating material things. From the main road a cavalcade is approaching. Harnessed horses are led by hand. Dromedaries and camels bear riders or are carrying loads. When they reach the square, they all stop. The cavalcade, lit up by the star, is a fantasy of splendor. The harnesses of the most rich mounts, the clothes of the riders, their faces, their baggage, everything shines, and the light of the star increases the splendor of metals, leathers, silks, gems, and coats. Eyes are radiant and mouths smiling, because another splendor shines in their hearts. The Splendor of a Supernatural Joy While the servants move towards the caravans with the animals, three members of the caravan dismount from their mounts, and they walk towards the house. They prostrate themselves, touching the ground with their foreheads to kiss the soil. They are three personages of great power. After venerating the house where the Savior is, they rise and go towards the caravans and the vision ends here, and starts again, during the daytime. It is daytime now. The sun is shining in the afternoon sky. 
one of the servants of the three magi crosses the square and climbs the steps of the little house. He goes in, and then he comes out and goes back to the magi. The three magi come out. The magi are even more richly dressed than the night before. Each magi is followed by a servant. One of the servants is carrying an inlaid coffer, the metal reinforcements of which are all engraved gold. The second servant is holding a beautifully wrought chalice covered with a pure gold lid. The third servant has a wide, low amphora, also in gold. The Magi climb the steps and go into the house. Mary is sitting with the child in her lap, and Joseph is standing near her. But she also gets up and bows when she sees the Magi entering. She is all dressed in white. She is so beautiful in her plain white dress, which covers her from her neck down to her feet, from her shoulders to her slender wrists. She is so beautiful with her head crowned with her blonde plaits. Her face is more rosy for the emotion, and her eyes are smiling sweetly. May God be with you, she says. The three magi stop for a moment, completely astonished. They then proceed and prostrate themselves at her feet, and they ask her to sit down. But they do not sit down. They remain kneeling, relaxed on their heels. Behind them, also on their knees, are the three servants. They have placed the three gifts they were carrying in front of the Magi, and now they are waiting. The three wise men contemplate the child, who I think must be nine to twelve months old. He is lively and strong. He is sitting on his mother's lap, and he smiles and prattles. He is all dressed in white like his mother, with tiny sandals on his little feet. The oldest of the Magi speaks on behalf of them all. He explains to Mary that one night, the previous December, they saw a new star of an unusual brightness appear in the sky. The maps of the sky had never shown or mentioned such a star. Its name was unknown because it had no name. Born out of the bosom of God, it had flourished to tell men a blessed truth, a secret of God. But men had not paid any attention to it because their souls were steeped in mud. They did not lift their eyes to God, neither could they read the words that he writes with stars of fire in the vault of heaven. May he be blessed forever. They had seen it and had striven to understand its meaning. They devoted themselves entirely to studying the zodiac and the conjunctions of the stars, the time, the season, the calculation of the hours past and of the gastronomic combinations had told them the name and the secret of the star. Its name, Messiah. Its secret, the Messiah had come to our world. And they had set out to worship him, each of them unknown to the others, over mountains, across deserts, along valleys and rivers, traveling by night, they had come towards Palestine because the star was moving in that direction. For each of them, from three different points on the earth, it was going in that direction. And then they met beyond the Dead Sea. God's will had gathered them there, and they then proceeded together, understanding one another, notwithstanding that each spoke his own language. By a miracle of the Eternal Father, 
they were able to understand and speak the language of each country. They had gone together to Jerusalem because the Messiah was to be the King of Jerusalem, the King of the Jews. But over the sky of that city the star had concealed itself, and they felt their hearts breaking with pain, and had examined themselves to ascertain whether they had failed to serve God. But when their consciences reassured them, they had applied to King Herod, and had asked him in which royal palace the king of the Jews was born, because they had come to adore him. And the king had gathered the chief priests and the scribes, and had asked them where the Messiah might be born, and they had replied, In Bethlehem, in Judah. And they had come towards Bethlehem, and as soon as they left the holy city, the star had reappeared to them, and the night before their arrival in Bethlehem, its brightness had increased, the whole sky was ablaze. Then the star had stopped above this house, engulfing all the light of the other stars in its ray, and they had understood that the divine newborn baby was there, and now they were worshipping him, offering their gifts, and above all, their hearts, which never cease thanking God for the grace granted to them. Neither would they ever stop loving his Son, whose holy human body they had now seen. Later they intended to go back to King Herod, because he also wanted to adore him. In the meantime, here is the gold which befits a king to possess, here is the incense which befits a god, and here, mother, here is the myrrh, because your child is a man as well as God, and he will experience the bitterness of the flesh and of human life as well as the inevitable law of death. Our souls, full as they are of love, would prefer not to utter those words, and we would rather think that his flesh is also eternal as his spirit. Woman, if our writings, and above all our souls, are right, he is your son, the Saviour, the Christ of God, and consequently, to save the world, he will have to take upon himself the evil of the world, of which one of the punishments is death. This mirror is for that hour, that his holy flesh may not be subject to the rot of putrefaction, but may preserve its integrity until its resurrection. And on account of this gift, may he remember us and save his servants by allowing them to enter his kingdom. In the meantime, that we may be sanctified, will you, mother, trust your little one to our love, that his heavenly blessing may descend upon us while we kiss his feet. Mary, who has overcome the fright caused by the words of the wise man, and has hidden with a smile the sadness of the doleful illusion, offers her child. She lays him in the arms of the oldest one, who kisses him and receives his caress, and he then hands Jesus over to the other two. Jesus smiles and plays with the little chains and fringes of the robes of the three magi. They then hand back the child to Mary, and they stand up. Mary also gets up. They bow to one another after the youngest has given an order to the servant who goes out. The three men go on speaking for a little while. They cannot seem to want to leave. The child wanted to get down and give his hand to the oldest of the three, 
and he walks thus, held by his hands, by Mary and the wise men, both of whom bend down to steady him. Jesus walks with a hesitant step, like all children, and he laughs. When they reach the threshold, the Magi take leave, kneeling down once again, kissing Jesus' feet. Mary, bending down over the child, takes his hand and guides it in a blessing gesture over the head of each wise man. It is already a sign of the cross, traced by Jesus' little fingers, guided by Mary. Here I want to make a note that most of us are taught that the wise men came on the eve of Jesus' birth, they came to worship him in the manger. Um, that that scene is culturally embedded in our minds. But here we learn that actually they traveled about a year to find him. When they found him, he was already walking, little sandals on his feet and toddling. And he was not a newborn baby, uh, but had been living in the little house in Bethlehem with Joseph and Mary for about a year. So that is something that uh, is interesting to note, um, and it makes a lot of sense that if on the night of his birth, the Lord God, our Father, put in the heavens a sign saying, tonight my child is born, that it would take time for travelers coming from great distances to find him. And here they found him uh, almost a year later. Please join me for part two. Thank you.